This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, fighting to hold politicians accountable for better health care. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Christine Ross for Libby Snymer. Emancipation Month has officially begun in Toronto following Mayor Olivia Chow's proclamation this week. And planning a trip this month? Which country best protects travelers in the event of cancellations or delays? But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Yet another study on the risk of alcohol in this one. Researchers say people should avoid alcohol altogether after finding that routinely drinking even in small quantities can raise blood pressure. Italian researchers found that as little as one alcoholic drink a day increases systolic blood pressure, the top number in a blood pressure reading in men and women with no existing hypertension. And further, small amounts of alcohol raised the lower or diastolic blood pressure reading, but only in men. Both readings contribute to cardiovascular risk, but systolic blood pressure is definitely the most important risk factor in adults. The University of Toronto is the second most prolific health sciences research institute in the world. A recent ranking by the scientific journal Nature places U of T second only to Harvard and better than other prestigious schools like Johns Hopkins, Yale and Oxford. U of T's dean of medicine Trevor Young calls the news truly exciting and breathtaking. Among the notable work the university has done this past year identifying a new target for fighting Parkinson's disease and therapies for recurrent brain cancer that extends a patient's life for several years. It's the end of an era in the States. The incandescent light bulb is no more, thanks to new federal energy efficiency regulations that went into full effect this week. Taking their place are LED lights that have driven down electricity demand in American homes, saving people money. In Canada, the federal government banned the import and sale of 75 and 100-watt incandescent bulbs back in 2014. A senior British police officer who wrote the Metropolitan Police's anti-drug strategy was allegedly smoking cannabis daily before going to work. A misconduct hearing has also been told that the 63-year-old commander is accused of failing to provide a sample for testing. He's facing a gross misconduct hearing. He's been suspended with full pay for the past two years. Move over dating apps. There's a new, more traditional trend. Date Me Docs is similar to a past era like a newspaper personal ad. Rather than the swipe right variety, some looking for love are adding up to a thousand words on these personal ads on a shared document to look for a more meaningful connection than a photo and a brief profile on a dating app. I'm Christine Ross. Those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Ago! Ago! We, as people of African descent, need to mark this important date. 
That's Jean Augustine, who made history in 1993 as the first African-Canadian woman elected a Canadian MP. The 85-year-old attended this week's Emancipation Day in Toronto, kicking off a month of events as this city recognizes the struggle for human rights and the contributions by people of African descent. The annual event marks the freeing of slavery of more than 800,000 Africans in British-controlled regions around the world, including Canada. We reached Canadian Senator Wanda Thomas-Bernard, a strong advocate of social change, and also the first African Nova Scotian woman to serve in the Canadian Senate. Why is it so critical now, almost 200 years since slavery was abolished, that we are dedicating an entire month in places like here in Toronto to learning about emancipation? Well, it's only been three years. This is only our third year for national recognition. So the fact that Toronto and other places in Ontario are celebrating emancipation for the month of August, I think it's wonderful. It's it's wonderful, it's important, it's necessary, because we need to tell Canada's full history. Canada has has sold a narrative about Canada being the promised land, being a safe haven, you know, being in a, a place where the poor African-American slaves escaped to. And while the Underground Railroad is certainly one part of our history, the reality of the enslavement of African people in Canada is a part of our history as well. And and when when that history is erased, it's erasing part of our, our reality. You talk about the Underground Railroad. Everyone knows about that. But since this is a month to learn the history of slavery and emancipation in this country, maybe we should give a brief history lesson here. For example, the number of enslaved Africans brought into North America eventually outnumbered enslaved Indigenous people here. How how were they all treated? The treatment of Indigenous people is very similar to the treatment of African people. The reality is both groups were treated as as subhuman. They, you know, their bodies were used as free labor to help build this country. And it's important that Canadians know that full story. You are a founding member of the Association of Black Social Workers that helps to address the needs of marginalized people, especially those of African descent. So with you on the front lines, how much progress have you seen over the years? Well, the good news is that there has been some progress. The fact that we are now marking Emancipation Day nationally, that's progress. The fact that that uh, we can have these uh, conversations, have these courageous conversations about race, about anti-Black racism, about the history, you know, about the part, the painful part of the history that Canadians denied for, for, um, for generations. The fact that we're doing this now, I think that's progress. The fact that we have media interest in this, that's progress. You know, there was a time when we couldn't get media to come and even cover stories that we felt were important because they weren't seen as important to the general public. So we're seeing some progress. 
You have been renewing calls for an apology for the intergenerational harms of slavery and and reparations. I know those talks are ongoing. Have you been satisfied with the response from Ottawa? I know you have called it kind of unfinished business. It's still unfinished business. So let me say this. I am pleased with some of the changes that I've seen. I'm pleased with the fact that this government, for example, since 2018, has had dedicated budget items in the in the federal budget dedicated to uh, issues and concerns specifically relating to Black Canadians and Black Canadian communities, issues pertaining to Black Canadians. You know, I think that's really, really important. And I see that uh, reality as a form of reparation. Government doesn't use that language. Mm-hmm. But reparations is about repairing harm. And, and I would say that the roots of slavery and enslavement is really what underpins current anti-Black racism, the systemic racism that's so embedded in all of our institutions in this country. And to not have an apology for that means that people still feel uh, disenfranchised. People still feel like that trauma is not well understood or well recognized. Mm-hmm. People, people are still carrying the pain and the trauma of the past. Just weeks ago, I'm sure you know, Toronto made international headlines for what many are calling out as racism. Um, you know, the asylum seekers, many black, were forced to camp out on the streets as our shelter system was overwhelmed. And, you know, days ago, the prime minister calling it unacceptable in a country like Canada that this is allowed to happen. What are your thoughts on that? It's just another example of the ways in which issues of racism are so interconnected with other issues in our society. Issues like um, poverty, Issues like homelessness, issues like uh, ableism, and when you when you're doing the intersections of those issues, issues like transphobia and homophobia, and intersect those with anti-black racism, it's like the double whammy uh, effect. George Floyd was seen as a pivotal moment in U.S. in terms of race relations. Does Canada have a moment like that that we can reference? The police murder of George Floyd had an impact not only in the United States, but around the world, Canada included. I would say that following the murder of George Floyd, many Canadians were moved to action. Many Canadians were moved to learn more, to understand more, and to do more. And One of the things that I was really looking for following the murder of George Floyd was to see um, that moment. It was a moment in time where people really understood that black lives matter. And my wish for the legacy of George Floyd was that 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 moment in time would become a movement that the Black Lives Matter needs to be a movement. I don't think the movement runs deep enough, but I think this the momentum is still building. Senator Bernard, thank you so much for your insight.
Thank you. That was Nova Scotian Senator Wanda Thomas-Bernard. I'm Christine Ross, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, know your rights under passenger rules for different countries amid summer travel. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, bringing you vital information to boost your health, your finances, and your rights. Find out more at carp.ca. Canada falls far behind the European Union when it comes to compensation for air travellers. In fact, if possible when travelling overseas, advocates recommend choosing a European carrier, as the EU is considered the gold standard when it comes to compensation for cancelled or delayed flights. In Canada, the much-criticized air passenger rights legislation is under review. We reached air passenger rights advocate Gabor Lukacs about what you need to know about compensation plans for other countries when your flight is delayed or cancelled. Rising number of disputes between travellers and airlines, not just in Canada, around the world, have led for calls for passenger right compensation, a better passenger rights. How does the European Union compare to Canada? when it comes to compensation for air travelers? The European Union has the gold standard of passenger compensation as of today. Uh, the European system is simple, straightforward, where the airline is required to compensate passengers for flight delay cancellation and denial of boarding. And there are only a very narrow, uh, exceptional or extraordinary circumstances where the airline can avoid paying compensation, which the airline has to prove that those extraordinary circumstances occurred. The strength of the European system is its simplicity. It's very easy to adjudicate disputes. Um, the, the, uh, in the vast majority of the cases, it takes a matter of minutes to decide whether a passenger is in, entitled to compensation. And that way, uh, it, it reduces the number of conflicts, number of disputes between passengers and airlines. Not to say that the European regime is perfect. There are, of course, some um, airlines that try to um, disobey the law there as well. But there is no massive amount of evidence needed to show that you have a case. The uh, other strength of the European Union's regime is that a number of rights, other than a lump sum compensation, do not depend on why the flight disruption happened. So, for example, if your flight is cancelled and you have to spend overnight um, at a hotel uh, for one night or two nights until your your alternate transportation, the airline has to pay for it regardless of uh, what caused the flight disruption. It could have been uh, something within the airline's uh, complete control, like a, a business decision or something completely outside their control as a volcanic eruption, they still have to pay. The It may look possibly... Uh, going too far in favor of the passengers. But when you look at it at the systemic level, at how it works uh, for society, uh, the net effect is that there are much fewer disputes because you anyway get your meals, you anyway get your hotel. So the airline has far less incentive to uh, dispute the cause to to fight the passenger about the meal or, or a hotel voucher. Would you recommend then, um, uh, let's say a Canadian wants to travel overseas when they're looking at the available airlines, should they book with a European carrier? To the extent that that you can, I would recommend booking with uh, 
booking on a flight which is operated by a European airline. And I'm being very careful there with the mm-hmm. wording because you may still book with Lufthansa but end up on an Air Canada flight because Air Canada may be operating a co-chair flight. So check which airline is actually operating the flight. And as it stands in the current situation in Canada, I would recommend and, and prefer booking on a European airline, absolutely. Why is it so tough for this country to get this right if the EU can do it? I mean, despite legislation in Canada to close the loopholes that allows these uh, airlines to avoid compensation, isn't there still something like 50,000 complaints before the transportation agency? Well, the, the reality is that the government did not close any loopholes. The government was misleading the public in claiming that some loopholes existed, which didn't exist to begin with with respect to refunds, and just the government was not enforcing the law. While with respect to other loopholes relating to, uh, you know, the so-called safety issues that the airlines love to use to call everything a safety issue and refuse compensation, the government did not close those loopholes. So um, the question is really why does the government not uh, come clean and own up to what they have been doing and why are they not fixing the laws and the enforcement system? The answer, I believe, uh, is uh, grounded, is rooted in the uh close relationship between the airlines and the government mm-hmm. and the airlines have way more clout in Ottawa than they should be having. Governments um, are concerned, are afraid of airlines pulling out from areas because then uh, electors, voters will get upset that they don't have a flight to their city and that creates some vulnerability for the government and, and um, some fear to really be strict with the airlines. I would hope that this will eventually come to an end because what we need in Canada is a competitive uh, airline industry which is based on meeting international standards and exceeding them and not on pretending that we have passenger rights while in reality we don't. Mm -hmm. It it seems anybody I've talked to who's traveled over the last year, everyone has a story, everyone has a complaint about something that went wrong with the flight. Uh, What what other complaint routes do Canadians have? Is there just... There is only one meaningful route and that's taking your case to small claims courts. I don't recommend taking your case to a Canadian transportation agency. They are not your friends. They are cozy with the airlines. And uh, under the new procedures the government has enacted recently, starting at the end of September, there will be a kind of start chamber process where the entire adjudication is going to be secretive uh, without any public scrutiny of, of what they are doing. And they are just going to blurt out a final result that the media, the public will not be able to see how they have reached it. So we do have significant concerns there. Gabor, we're here, you know, the travel chaos stories from last summer, most of that, you know, pent up post-pandemic travel. Are we hearing similar stories this summer like we did last summer or have things kind of calmed down somewhat? We are hearing perhaps a bit less stories, uh, whether it is because of how things are being reported or whether it is because passengers have better experience, it's hard to know. Uh, There's also always some lag between when the stories get reported and when the issues happen, there have been problems. Uh, I, I believe there have been some massive amount of cancellations around Canada Day, but perhaps the problems have not been as prominent, has been, not been as egregious as last year, uh, partly because airlines understand that it could have significant consequences for them. Thank you so much for this. Thank you very much for having me. That was air passenger rights advocate Gabor Lukacs. I'm Christine Ross, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. 
And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Christine Ross for Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Huddy, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.